Good morning. It's good to be with you, and if you would, please take your Bibles and open up to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, after several weeks away, we're back to the Gospel according to Luke, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 35 to 48. So Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. If you would follow along with me as we read. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church, beginning in verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not No, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord given to us for our good. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask for your help now as we open the Word of God. We pray for ears to hear, hearts to believe, Father, and a will to obey. I pray, Lord, that you would keep me from error. I pray, God, that you would grant us discernment as a church. I pray that your Spirit would be active now to bear fruit from the Word of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. So we pray for the Spirit to build among us today by and through your word. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Friends, perhaps the best place to start this morning is with a review of where we have been. It's been a while since we were in Luke. So where exactly are we in Luke's presentation of Jesus' life and ministry? What's going on? Well, you may remember that Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9 Verse 51 was a turning point in the gospel. And in that verse, Luke told us, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Since that point, everything has been running toward Jerusalem and the cross. Remember, this is why 
Jesus came to offer His life as the atonement for sin. And Jesus will not be deterred from that mission. So this is Jesus' mindset as we come back to Luke's Gospel. He is resolved to reach Jerusalem where He will suffer and die for the salvation of God's people. At the same time, however, Jesus' resolve to reach Jerusalem should not be viewed as tunnel vision. Just the opposite, in fact. Jesus journeys to the cross, and as He goes, this same journey becomes a time of preparation for the disciples. At each step of the way, the Lord is equipping His servants. He teaches them about the cross, so that they will understand what is going to happen to Him in Jerusalem. He trains them so that they will be ready for their own mission once He has ascended again to the Father. And He corrects them so that their understanding of discipleship begins to line up more with the cross and less with the world. You see, Jesus' journey is focused on the cross, but it's also a training ground for the disciples. And this is particularly clear in Luke chapter 12, the chapter that we're in. All through this chapter, Jesus has taught His disciples again and again, and His emphasis has been on faithfulness. Faithfulness. In fact, just scan through chapter 12 with me briefly, and notice how carefully and consistently Jesus prepares His followers to be faithful. From the outset, verses 11 to 12 Jesus called for faithfulness in the face of persecution. Remember Jesus' powerful words, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Fear Him who has the power to kill both body and soul. That was the opening of the chapter. Then verses 13-21, to Jesus called for faithfulness in the challenge of prosperity. Remember Jesus' exhortation, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And then right before our passage, verses 22-34, to Jesus called for, the, for faithfulness in the midst of anxiety. The Lord said, do not be anxious about your life. Who says the Bible is not relevant to today? Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So over and over, friends, you can hear this theme. Persecution, prosperity, anxiety. Jesus has been preparing His disciples to be faithful to Him no matter the situation. And that emphasis on being faithful continues in our passage today. What has been true throughout chapter 12 continues on into these verses, verses 35 to 48. Here we find Jesus telling the disciples the same thing He's already told them. Get ready to be faithful to Me. Prepare for faithfulness. But while that theme is the same, there is an added component in this passage. Jesus continues with faithfulness as He did in the other verses, but now He encourages faithfulness in light of one very significant truth. You probably heard it as we read. It it runs all through the text. Jesus encourages faithfulness in light of the second coming. You must be ready, Jesus says, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You see, friends, that's the truth that should give shape to a disciple's everyday life. The truth of the second coming. 
So to put it very plainly, Jesus wants us to recognize that you live differently when you remember that He is coming back very soon. You live differently. You live faithfully. That's the emphasis in today's passage. Faithfulness, according to Jesus, means living very purposefully in light of the last day, in light of His second coming. So in terms of the details... You can think of our passage as highlighting three features of what it means to live as a faithful disciple. If you like to take notes, here you go. Three features in light of uh, three features of a faithful disciple. The first has to do with watchfulness. The second has to do with stewardship, and the third has to do with responsibility. Watchfulness, stewardship, responsibility. Three features of a faithful disciple. Let's think about each of those a bit more deeply particularly in light of Jesus' return. The first feature of a faithful disciple comes there in verses 35 to 40. Faithful disciples remain watchful for the Lord's return. Very simple, faithful disciples remain watchful for the Lord's return. Jesus begins this section with two images, both of which communicate readiness. Notice verse 35. Stay dressed for action... And keep your lamps burning. In Jesus' day, to stay dressed for action meant to have your robes tied up around your waist so that you would be ready to move at a moment's notice. This would have been particularly important for a household servant who had to respond quickly to the master's call. What's more, there's no electricity in Jesus' day, so practically speaking, you had to keep a lamp burning to avoid being caught in the dark. Again, if you were a servant, you had to keep a lamp burning in case the master needed something. So if you put those two things together, you can hear the emphasis on readiness in verse 35. Stay ready. Have your work clothes on, Jesus says. And make sure you don't get caught in the dark. Then in verse 36, Jesus connects readiness with being watchful. Listen again, verse 36. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Now, weddings in Jesus' day were not like weddings in our day. In Jesus' day, a wedding feast could last for days upon end. There was really no set time that it would end. When's the feast over? Ah, Whenever we stop partying, it's done then. So they would last for long periods of time, which means that if your master went away to a wedding feast, you weren't precisely sure when he was going to come back. So in order to do your job, if you're a household servant, you've got to remain watchful. If you let down your robes or if you put out all the lamps, then you might miss the master's return, especially since the master could come home at any point, even in the middle of the night. So to remain faithful, a servant had to be ready for action. That's the first thing. And then that readiness included keeping watch. Jesus goes one step further. Faithful servants aren't simply ready, they're also expectant. They're expectant, for the Master could come at any time. Look at verse 39. Verse 39, where Jesus shifts images. He shifts from household servants watching for the Master to a homeowner guarding against thieves. Jesus' point is simple. Since thieves don't announce their intentions, a homeowner has to remain alert at all times. He has to expect that a break-in could happen any day now. You see, that's the kind of attitude Jesus calls His disciples to display. It's only through expectant 
watchfulness, like a servant expecting his master, like a homeowner guarding against a thief. It's only through expectant, constant watchfulness that disciples are prepared to be faithful. Constant watchfulness. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a taxing way to live, doesn't it? Constant watchfulness, expectant readiness, that sounds exhausting. And since Jesus is talking about discipleship, we're reminded that this all applies to us. Jesus isn't theorizing here. He's not speaking hypothetically. He's talking about how you and I live practically every day. This is about discipleship, which raises the question, why would anyone choose to live this way? Constant watchfulness. It's easier to simply go with the flow, isn't it? It's easier to simply handle your own business and just take things as they come. It's costly to be watchful, to be expectant, to be ready. So if discipleship, which is what Jesus is talking about, if discipleship comes with that kind of cost, why would anyone choose to live like this? Notice Jesus' answer. It comes in verse 37. And it's a remarkable motivation and a remarkable answer. Jesus says, verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom their master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, the master will dress himself for service and have them, the servants, recline at table and he will come and serve them. Now, anytime you hear Jesus declare a blessing, you ought to pay attention. Jesus' beatitudes are always significant for they remind us of how life works in the kingdom of God. But this beatitude, friends, this blessing, this blessing is unusually powerful. What Jesus promises in verse 37 is nothing less than a reversal of roles. According to Jesus, faithful servants receive the blessing of being served by the Master Himself. The roles are reversed. That's the scene in verse 37. Just try to imagine it. The master comes home and he's overjoyed to find his servants ready and waiting for him. And out of the joy of his heart, the master lays aside his robes. He puts his work clothes on. He sits the servants down at the table. And then the master serves them from his own bountiful provision. All the riches of the master's house are set before the faithful servants. And in that moment of glorious reversal, the master tells the servants, Feast, my friends. Feast on my riches. For my soul delights in you as much as you have been faithful to me. Brothers and sisters, that is the blessing of faithfulness that Jesus promises to his followers. It's the promise that we will share in Christ's joy and riches. That He will give to us from His own bountiful storehouse and provision. Indeed, part of the Gospel's glory is that we have already come to share in Christ's riches, haven't we? We've already been clothed in His royal robes, robes of Christ's righteousness. We've already been given treasure from His royal treasury, gifts of the Holy Spirit. We already share in His royal lineage, being adopted as sons and daughters of God. And all of that, brothers and sisters, all of that is a foretaste of what is to come. 
Or to use the image of this passage, all the blessings of the gospel that you and I know right now, they're just appetizers to eternity's feast. They're just little morsels that anticipate the richness of what's to come. It's almost too much to imagine. I spent some time trying to flesh this paragraph out to give you more illustrations and I realized I don't know what else to say. It's almost too much to imagine. There's a day coming when the Son of God, who was equal with the Father in glory, yet laid aside that glory in order to be pierced and shed His blood for you and me, there's a day coming when that Son will look His people in the eye and say, sit at My table, no, sit in My chair, and feast from My own riches. Is it hard to live with constant readiness? You better believe it is. And so Jesus says, Just wait, there's a feast coming. And He promises, He promises riches from His own table. Listen to me church, there's no greater motivation for faithfulness than this blessing. The cost of discipleship is high. Maybe one of the worst mistakes we've made as evangelicals is we've tried to make the cost lower. The cost is high. There's no way around it. Verse 35 and verse 36 are telling you that following Jesus is costly. It's a high cost. But that high calling, that high cost, is matched in verse 37 with an even higher promise. The promise of participation with Christ Himself, feasting for eternity at His royal table. And so Jesus gives us this clear summarizing principle in verse 40. This wraps up the whole section. Look at verse 40. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. Friends, the nature of Christ's return determines the attitude of our lives. Since the Lord's return will be sudden and unexpected, we ought to live every day with an attitude of watchful, expectant faithfulness. We ought to live watchfully. What does it mean to live watchfully? That's something I've asked myself this week. Maybe you're asking that today. What does it mean to live watchfully? How does one live with an expectant readiness for the return of Christ? Well, there's a number of things that we could say. We could talk about the priority of serving Christ through the life of His church building one another up and proclaiming Christ's gospel among all peoples. That's an important part of living a watchful life. We could talk about the necessity of filling our minds with truth, particularly from the Scriptures, so that we're not lulled into complacency by the deceptive ease of this world. That's an increasingly important area for Christian discipleship, isn't it? Cultivating the life of the mind. Those are important points. We could talk about all those things. But there's just one example, just one application I want to give you this morning for how to live watchfully. It comes from 2 Peter chapter 3. The reason why I picked that passage is because in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle is talking about the same theme that we find here in our passage. He's talking about the return of Christ. And Peter says this to, to Christians... Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, meaning when Jesus comes back. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in holiness and godliness waiting for, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So you hear it there, don't you? 
How do you live watchfully? By being people of holiness and godliness. A faithful disciple watches for Christ by killing sin and growing in godliness. By killing sin and growing in godliness. If holiness is the attire of heaven, then pursuing holiness today is preparation for the last day. It's having your work clothes on. Being dressed for action is to be clothed in godliness. Are you killing sin, brothers and sisters? Is your hunger for holiness increasing? Or are there pockets of sin in your life that you have begun to tolerate? Perhaps even accommodate? Listen, taking sin lightly is a surefire way to not be ready for Jesus' return. Godliness fits us for heaven, as the Puritans used to say. Godliness fits us for heaven. Not because godliness earns our status with Christ, but because godliness demonstrates our confidence and our faith in Christ. So are we striving after holiness? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Are we striving after holiness? As you meditate on that question, friends, remember the promise of the Gospel. Remember the promise of the Gospel. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of righteousness. So if there are pockets of your life where you're accommodating sin, don't despair. That's what the evil one wants you to do. Don't despair. Confess. Bring it into the light. And then do the radical thing that defies every natural impulse that you have. Trust that the Gospel is true. Trust that the blood of the Son of God is enough to cleanse you from your sin. Are you killing sin? And as you reflect on that question, remember the promise of the Gospel. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we want to be a watchful, ready people, then let us be a holy and godly people. That's the first feature of a faithful disciple. We remain watchful for the Lord's return in godliness. The second feature continues the same theme. Verses 41 to 46, faithful disciples remember their role is stewardship. Faithful disciples remember their role is stewardship. In verse 41, Peter speaks up and asks a question. Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for everyone else? Perhaps Peter wants to know if there's a way for him to wiggle out from underneath the responsibility of Jesus' command. Or perhaps he legitimately wants to know, are you talking to us or are you talking to everybody? Jesus doesn't exactly answer Peter, but he goes on to continue teaching about faithfulness in a way that communicates everyone, everyone needs to be ready to be faithful. Every disciple, Jesus is about to say, should recognize the need for stewardship in God's house. Notice how Jesus makes the point. He begins with another image that sets up a contrast. Look at verse 42. Jesus describes a faithful steward who manages his master's household well. Verse 42, And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their food at their proper time? In Jesus' day, a steward or a manager was chief 
among the Lord's servants. It was the steward who was responsible to oversee the entire household when the master was away. And that meant that the steward had considerable authority even over the other servants. He was chief among the servants. And here in verse 42, Jesus points out that this authority was for the purpose of serving others. Instead of using his position to serve himself, a faithful steward works hard to ensure that everyone else is cared for. That's what Jesus means by that last phrase in verse 42, where he says, to give them their food at the proper time. That phrase answers Jesus' question from the first part of the verse. Who's the faithful and wise steward, Jesus asks. Well, it's the one who gives everyone else their food at the proper time. It's the one who uses his position to serve other people. That's the faithful and wise steward. So this, this is key, friends. According to Jesus, faithfulness means using your position, using your authority to bless other people, to serve them in the name of the Master. This is a high calling, isn't it? It's a high calling. Which is why in verse 43, Jesus declares that faithful stewards are blessed. Look at verse 43. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. Again, we see that faithfulness to the master brings blessing. In this context, the blessing is greater responsibility. A point that we're going to come back to at the end of the sermon. But for now... I want us to note the connection here in verses 42 and 43 with the life of the church. As disciples, the way we remain faithful to the Lord is by using whatever gifts, position, and authority we have to serve other people in Christ's name. Now, to illustrate the importance of being faithful, notice the contrast that Jesus begins to draw in verse 45. After describing a faithful steward, Jesus now illustrates the opposite. Notice this despicable picture of unfaithfulness. Verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Clearly, this servant has failed the test of faithfulness. But where exactly did he go wrong? What was the turning point that led this servant to be destroyed? Well, you could say this wicked servant made two fatal mistakes. He made two mistakes that led him to be unfaithful. The first is that the servant lost sight of his master's return. You hear it there in verse 45. The servant assumes his master is delayed. My master's not coming back anytime soon. And therefore, the servant that he assumes that he can worry about being faithful later. I can handle all that faithfulness stuff later. My master's not coming back today, so I can make things right tomorrow. Today I can do what serves me, and tomorrow I can worry about doing what serves the master. You see, he loses sight of the fact that his master's coming back at an hour he does not expect. Friends, we should be sobered by this. How easily do we make the same mistake? 
How often do we assume that Christ's return is not imminent? And therefore, we've got all the time to sort out those spiritual responsibilities. We'll just do it later. We live like that most days, don't we? Most days, it's the present that weighs most heavily on us. While eternity seems to be a small thing. Something we can figure out later. I remember sharing the gospel with a guy at a bus stop once in Louisville, Kentucky. And he said, man, I, I, I agree with you. I believe that everything you said is true. I'll just, I'll just worry about that later. Worry about it later. Failing to recognize that eternity is one step away. The return of Christ is, is imminent. And what Jesus wants us to see here is that that kind of assumption that the Master's not coming back anytime soon, that kind of assumption is not harmless. It's actually the crossroads many times that starts us on the path of unfaithfulness. But friends, the unfaithful servant makes a second mistake that's even more significant. Not only does he lose sight of the Master's return, but the servant also loses sight of his own role. He loses sight of his own role. Think about it. Who is the servant acting like in verse 45? He's acting like the master, isn't he? The servant in verse 45 begins to act as though other people exist to serve him. He's acting as though the master's possessions were his possessions. And he can use them to his advantage. This is my food, the servant assumes. This is my wine, the servant boasts. These are my servants who exist to meet my needs. And if they don't, then I'm going to punish them. You see the tragic mistake this man makes? He forgets who he is. He forgets his identity. He has forgotten that he's only a steward. He's only a servant. Whatever position he occupies, whatever gifts he has, whatever authority he possesses, they don't actually belong to him. They belong to the master. He's forgotten that he's a steward. And that's why his punishment in verse 46 is so severe. Make no mistake, friends, verse 46 is a picture of judgment. The wicked servant is put with the unfaithful because that's precisely what he's revealed himself to be, unfaithful. This is a servant in name only. He doesn't love the master. He doesn't trust the master. He doesn't take joy in serving the master. This is a picture of someone who loves and serves himself. And that, friends, is always a step down the road to judgment. Just doing what I want, serving, what, serving myself, demanding that other people meet my needs, that's not harmless, Jesus says. It's a step towards unfaithfulness. And I know verse 46 is severe. Anytime you hear about someone being cut up and put outside with the unfaithful, which, friends, that's just a description of hell is what it is. I know that that's severe. Verse 46 is severe. But this is actually where the application is found for us. The unfaithful servant is the foil that reveals the right way for us to live. Jesus is using the negative to illustrate the positive and call you to pursue it. Ultimately, faithfulness in discipleship means remembering your role. That's the takeaway from verses 45 and 46. Faithfulness as a disciple means remembering your role. It means remembering your identity. That you're a servant. That you're a steward. 
Friends, this is foundational for Christian faithfulship, what, of Christian faithfulness. Whatever role we occupy, we do so for the purpose of serving others in Christ's name. Whatever gifts we have, we possess them for the purpose of blessing others in Christ's name. Whatever authority, whatever leadership, whatever calling we receive, it's all for the goal of serving others for the glory of Christ. We're stewards at the end of the day. So I want you to think about the people in your life whom you have the opportunity to serve and care for each week. Everyone in here has some level of authority or position relative to other people. So I want you to think about the people that you're called to serve and care for each week. It could be your spouse or your children. It could be co-workers or students or neighbors or friends. It certainly includes other members of this church. Friends, those opportunities to serve are more than obligations and duties. Those are opportunities to display love for Christ and commitment to His name. Those are opportunities to testify that you belong to the King. And your role is to steward the gifts that someone greater than you gave to you for a short period of time. Friends, there's no higher calling than that. It's the calling to be faithful today, not someday. It's the calling to be faithful today in serving others through the means that God has provided to you. And listen, that should change your perspective on what God has given you to do today. It should change your perspective on today's responsibilities. Your job becomes more than a mere paycheck. It's a place for kingdom faithfulness that honors Christ. Your family becomes more than a series of tasks that you have to manage and muddle through. It's the arena for Christ-like faithfulness that displays the glory of God. Your church, your church becomes more than the place for you to consume spiritual services. It's ground zero for faithful disciples. As each one of us uses the various gifts that we've been given to serve others in the name of Christ. It's more than a job. It's more than just a home. It's more than a mere church. Do you see it? It's the place where Jesus is saying, will you be faithful to me? Not someday, not tomorrow, today, right now. I don't know about you friends, but that puts some fresh resolve in my heart to serve. And from that fresh resolve... Faithfulness springs up and grows. As each of us fulfills our role and remembers our identity today. Christ is coming again soon to judge the living and the dead. We want to be found faithful. How do we do that? In part, by remembering that our role is stewardship and then serving other people in Christ's name. That's the second feature of faithful disciples. They remember their role is stewardship. The last feature closes the passage, verses 47 and 48. Faithful disciples recognize the responsibility of service. Faithful disciples recognize the responsibility of service. Jesus ends this section with a summary principle that highlights the responsibility. You could even say the accountability that comes with knowing and serving Christ. Notice what the Lord says, verse 47. 
And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Okay, what's Jesus getting at here? Well, the roots stretch back to the Old Testament, particularly to the law of Moses. In the law of Moses, there was a category of sin called sinning with a high hand. Do you remember that in reading through the Bible? There's a category of sin called sinning with a high hand. And essentially, it applied to people who knew God's commandments and disobeyed them anyway. So these were people who could recite the catechism and then took great delight in breaking it pretty quickly. Knowing God's word and disobeying it anyway. So it's more than disobedience. It's disobedience with defiance. And Jesus here in Luke 12 brings that Old Testament principle into his ministry. It's always wrong to disobey the Lord. But there's a unique accountability that comes to those who clearly receive the teaching of Jesus and disregard it anyway. That kind of defiance, according to Jesus, receives a greater punishment. How are there different levels of punishment? I don't know. I'm just telling you what Jesus says. That kind of defiance receives a greater punishment. Now, to be clear, I want want you to listen to me on this. All disobedience is worthy of judgment. So notice in verse 47 that any, any disobedience, whether it's done in defiance or whether it's done in ignorance... Any disobedience receives the Lord's judgment. But Jesus' point here is to warn us that hearing His teaching, receiving His Word, brings a greater responsibility. In fact, Jesus makes this point very clear in the final lines of the passage. Here the Lord lays out the principle. Notice the end of verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom, much, uh, to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. That's the spiritual principle, friends. Here it is. Greater privilege brings greater responsibility. Greater privilege, and I mean spiritual privilege here. Greater privilege brings greater responsibility. The more we hear the Lord's teaching, the greater our accountability becomes. Now, in the context of Luke chapter 12... I will argue that Jesus is making a specific point to the twelve disciples. Of all people, the twelve disciples received the greatest privilege in connection with Christ, didn't they? They heard His voice, they saw His miracles, they broke bread with Him. And therefore, the disciples' responsibility to be faithful was perhaps the highest of all. This is why the Bible speaks so forcefully about the heinousness of Judas Iscariot and his betrayal of the Lord. It's one thing to betray the Lord of glory. It's another thing to betray the Lord of glory after receiving the bread of life from his own mouth. And so Judas's responsibility is perhaps the greatest of all in terms of his judgment. There's a unique aspect there for his disobedience. So in the context, I'll argue that Jesus' principle applies directly to the disciples. But friends, that does not mean we can ignore Jesus' principle. That does not mean we can ignore Jesus' principle. As people who have ready access to God's Word and relative ease to worship the Lord Jesus, we too have received much. 
In fact, this is something that we probably overlook far too often. In, uh, us in this room, we have been given a stunning amount of spiritual privilege and therefore responsibility. It's staggering, really. Did you know that one in five people on the globe have no access to the Bible in their language? Did you know there are 4,000 language groups, nearly 4,000 language groups that have no scriptures that they can read? I have six English translations on my shelf and countless more at my fingertips. We have an incredible amount of spiritual blessing, brothers and sisters. No one accosted you on the parking lot to get in the door today. We have an incredible amount of spiritual privilege. And that means our responsibility to serve the Lord is all the greater. Will we be faithful? That's the question Jesus is urging upon us. Will we recognize the responsibility that comes with knowing the Lord and receiving His Word? Brothers and sisters, I hope you don't hear me as trying to frighten anyone into being faithful. The Lord Jesus is not attempting to scare His disciples into serving Him, and neither am I. But I would say that there's an appropriate sense of soberness, an appropriate realization that should rest upon us this morning. Of all the countless believers down through the ages, we are arguably near the top of the list when it comes to spiritual blessing and privilege. And that's not conjecture. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that the prophets longed to see the day that you and I have seen. So that's redemptive historical. And then you just talk practical. I have six English translations on my shelf. 20% of the globe has no access to the Bible in their own language. I have six translations. I can read it in other languages if I want to. Because I can do Google Translate. It's amazing. We have an incredible amount of spiritual privilege. And so the question becomes, will we be faithful? That reality should rest on us, friends, in a way that leads us to deeper faithfulness. And so that's the best place to end this morning with this question. This question put in first person pronouns for you. How can I press deeper into the faithfulness that Christ calls His disciples to display? Where can I grow in godliness and how do I plan to do so? Seriously, where and what's your plan? Share it with someone. How can I serve others more faithfully and how will I get started? Where can I serve others more faithfully and how will I get started? Those are the questions that the Lord is pressing upon us today. And as we ask ourselves those questions, as we ask ourselves those questions, let's remember the promise that Christ Himself gives us in verse 37. Truly, I say to you, the Master will dress Himself for service and have them recline at table and the Master will come and serve them to feast with the Master at His table, sharing His joy. Brothers and sisters, there's no greater joy than that. And may that promise, may the glory of that promise spur us on to be faithful all the more. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us today. We are all aware, God. We are all aware that we far too easily 
fail to stay dressed for action. Father, we, we, we find it hard to be watchful. We find it hard to live with expectant, constant readiness. It's easy, Father, for us to put off to tomorrow the urgency of being faithful where You've called us. And so we pray that You would forgive us, God. We pray that You would forgive us for our unfaithfulness and that You would work right now by Your Holy Spirit to take Your Word, to apply it to our hearts, and to produce in us, Father, a desire to serve You and to be faithful to You, looking forward to the great day when You return. Father, bear fruit today in the life of our church, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.